Well, they let me come back and speak again, so after yesterday, that's a blessing. Uh, we assigned uh, the speakers to have 30 minutes in the morning. Uh, I made that rule. That was a stupid rule now that I'm standing here. I think it's great when I'm sitting there, but when I'm standing here, I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. But I'm going to do my best to abide my, my own laws that I've laid down for us. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and so I, I say that to say I've got 30 minutes, I've got a lot to cover, we're going to get right into it this morning. To, be a, to make disciples, you must be a disciple. Amen. And we are called to disciple the nations, the nations. And we are discipling the nations, amen? amen. Together, working together, that's what we're working for. Calling the nations into submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to speak to you on the topic of uh, the church today. How many of you know that uh, the church is essential? The church is essential. Matthew chapter 16, I invite you to stand with me this morning. Also reading from a familiar passage, working from a familiar passage this morning. And so just so you don't go into a comatose state, as Pastor Dan said, we'll stand as we read this morning. Starting in verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp and a light unto our feet and to our path. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Let it go deep into our hearts and produce good fruit in our lives for the sake of your name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, because we're all Protestants, we know that the rock is... Brother David, what is the rock? Christ is the rock. He is the rock. Actually, I think it's his confession. I think the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I think it is the confession that, that, that Christ is building his church upon. Of course, Christ is the rock, but I think the rock that he's speaking of here specifically is that confession. But notice here, nobody said Peter. That's the main thing. We at least got it in the right general category. Nobody said Peter is the rock that, that the church is built upon. Now, we all know that. We've, we've heard that. We've preached that. Jesus is the rock. The confession is the rock. It's not Peter who's the rock. Christ is the rock. Amen. Amen. But we focus so much on the rock that we forgot to pay attention to another important word in this passage. 
And that is the word church. We focus so much on who the rock is not, what the rock is not, that we didn't pay so much attention to this word. I will build my church. Now, this is actually the first time in the English Bible that the word church is used. Jesus only uses the word twice, both times in Matthew, here in 16 and later in chapter 18. But this passage then is therefore foundational for our understanding of what a church actually is. There's a lot of confusion about what the church is today. The meaning has been diluted. It's been eroded over uh, the, the last course of time, but especially the last two years as church and what it means to be a church and, and the whole definition of a church has been uh, diluted, eroded, challenged, preconceived ideas changed. Uh, people are selling books telling us why the church has changed forever and it'll never go back to being the way it was before, how the church has fundamentally been transformed because of the, the, the pandemic and all of these things. And now we gather online, now we gather on our phones, now we put on our VR headsets and go to Metaverse Church or, or whatever Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have for us as far as church is concerned. But what is Jesus Christ the Lord of the church. What is his definition? Because it doesn't really matter what other social media influencer or thought leader and his innovative new take on the church is. I don't care how cool his sneakers are or how expensive they are. What does Jesus say who never once wore sneakers? That's what matters. Amen. And if we want to experience, as Pastor Matt said last night, the glory in the church. Oh, well, the people from the outside come on the inside and they say, I don't know what's going on here, but their God must be awesome. If we want to experience the glory of the church or the glory in the church, it would help us if we had a well-informed idea from the person who uttered these words that he was going to build it. I would submit to you that you can build something that looks like a church on your own power and your own effort, your own charisma and your own gifts. You can slap the name church on the sign. You can fool even Christians into thinking they're attending a church. But unless you are doing what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about here, you are building the church. You are, no, you are building your kingdom and he is not building his church. And how many of you, you don't want to be building your own kingdom. You want to, you want through you and, 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 and your life, you want him to be building his church. So we need to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about here. So let's look at this word church. Now, brother David, I'm putting you on the spot this morning, but you called me out in class plenty of time. So now the role is, <laughs> role is reversed. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. Exactly. Ecclesia. This Greek word means literally a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. To, to put it another way, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes to leave their VR headsets behind, to, to leave their, their live stream church behind, called out into a public place a gathering, an assembly. 
It was a common word in Jesus' day, ecclesia. It was part of the common parlance. It wasn't the first time that his hearers were hearing this. In fact, when they heard this word that Jesus was going to build his gathering, his assembly, his ecclesia, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because while it's the first time it's translated as church in our English Bible, it's not the first time that this Greek word ecclesia is found in the Bible. In fact, that the Bible that they use in the time of Christ uh, was actually a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures called the Septuagint. That was the, the, the common uh, translation of their scriptures in that day was into Greek. And this word, this Greek word ecclesia is found all throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus here is saying there have been other gatherings, there have been other ecclesias in the past that you are familiar with, but upon this rock, this truth, this revelation that doesn't come by natural means, but comes by the Father who is in heaven, that Jesus isn't just a Jewish carpenter, Jesus isn't just a wonderful philosopher, Jesus wasn't just a good guy that showed us some good things. No, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and the very Son of God. Upon that truth, I am going to build my gathering. So let's, let's look at some of the Old Testament uh, passages this morning. I don't know if you knew this. There's a whole other section of the Bible. And the front is full of all this stuff. It's like really good stuff. I know there's some people that want to unhitch Christianity from this other part of the Bible, but we kind of reject that, don't we? Right. For us to understand anything about the new covenant, we, we, we first have to understand the old covenant. Well, what is it that makes the, the new covenant new? Well, I mean, it's not just the covenant, it's the new covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 9, that's the fifth book of the Bible, if you've unhinged it from your faith. Deuteronomy Chapter 9. Stop laughing. I have only a little bit of time. And the more you laugh, the more I want to be funny. Deuteronomy chapter 9. This, of course, is the children of Israel led out into the wilderness, set free from the captivity of bondage in Egypt. God gathering a people for himself making a name for himself amongst these people. Uh, these people that had been in bondage, had been in darkness, he had led them out by his mighty power and mighty hand. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. The Lord gave me the two tablets of stone. This is Moses. Uh, Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law to the next generation that had grown up in the wilderness. So Moses is recounting the law of God to this generation that was about to go into the promised land some 40 years later. So he's telling the next generation the, the truths about their family history and heritage about what God had done for them. And so he says, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. But in the Greek Septuagint, it's the day of the ecclesia. 
So here we see the people of God gathered. Moses encountering the, the finger of God, the fire of God, coming down off the mountain with the word of God, delivering it to the people of God who had assembled with God's presence there in their midst. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, verse 11, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. The tablets of the covenant. Flip a few page over, pages over Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm going to survey through this quickly. just want to lay a foundation here for you. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Look here at verse 11. When some of Israel comes to appear before the Lord, when the majority of Israel comes, when, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, okay, in the presence of God, the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, so foreshadowing the, the temple that would be built in Jerusalem, well, what do we do when, when all the congregation, when all of the assembly comes together in the presence of God, in the place that he will choose? You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Well, who should come? Assemble. Okay, there's the, that Greek word, ecclesia. The people, the men, the women, the little ones, and even the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear... And learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. I'll flip a couple more books over to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, of course, is after Solomon had built this very place that Moses had foretold. And, and so Solomon builds this place. He builds the Lord a house. And in obedience to what the Lord had told God's people through Moses, they do exactly what God had told them to do. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said, he, he assembled the people. The Lord had said that he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all of the assembly, all of the gathering, all of the ecclesia of Israel. And while all the assembly of Israel stood, he turned and he, he blessed the Lord and he, he praised this incredible prayer of dedication. And then as you go on into chapter 7, verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. One more passage from the Old Testament this morning as we do this survey. Flip over to Nehemiah, just a couple more books forward. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is, of course, now as after they had 
the temple had been destroyed. They had been exiled because of their sin. God brought discipline upon his people as he has the right to do to teach his people not to follow after idols. A, a remnant had returned, had, had begun to build the temple, and now Nehemiah returns to build the wall. And there's this assembly that comes together in chapter 8 in Jerusalem. Not a, not a whole lot of people came back from Jerusalem, about 50,000 or came back to Jerusalem from exile. Of, of the millions of people that were led into ex exile, only about 50,000 came back. How many of you are glad you've got a little bit better percentage of that on your post-COVID uh, from several million to 50,000? We're doing all right. Chapter 8, the people gathered as one. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, before the ecclesia, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. It goes on to list a group of people who stood with him and, and helped him in this task. In verse 5, as we skip down, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And how amazing would it be, Pastor, if when you got up to preach on Sunday morning, you stood in your pulpit and opened the book and everybody just stood up? How amazing would that be? They just stand just because God's word's about to be read. That's what happened here in this assembly. Just a little side note there. And Ezra blessed the Lord and, and the, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. So be it. Let it be. I agree. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped with their faces to the ground. And again, this list of people who assisted him. They helped the people understand the law. While the people remained in their place, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense, the meaning, so that the people could understand the reading. In verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were so moved by the reading of God's word. Ezra is telling them this should be a day of celebration. We shouldn't be weeping even though our hearts are being moved. It should move us to gladness. It should move us to joy. It should move us to, to celebrate what God has done in our midst. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, 
Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Share this meal together. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because, why? Why were they rejoicing? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. This is the backdrop upon which Jesus says that he will build his gathering, his assembly, his ecclesia. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples who are steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. They have not unhitched themselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was all that they had. And they had the Greek Old Testament, which talked about constantly this ecclesia, this gathering of God's people. And what we see in these passages is that in this assembly, in this gathering, God made his covenant with Israel. God made his covenant with the gathered people who were there. God's people gathered to worship him in the assembly, in the gathering. And the point is this, that Jesus' hearers would immediately identify these other gatherings with the gathering that Jesus said he was now going to build, not upon the law of Moses, but upon this revelation of who he was. And so we see throughout the Old Testament that when the people assembled, when God's people assembled, when they gathered, when they ecclesiaed, their covenant with relationship with God was affirmed. They worshiped God and they heard his word proclaimed. The gathering of God's saints in the Old Testament, when they came together, the covenant was affirmed or reaffirmed. They worshiped God together and his word was proclaimed. And now here in the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build my ecclesia. And the, the, the big idea is this. For the, for the gathering to be a gathering, it must gather I feel like in 2022, we just have to say the most stupid, obvious things. <laughs> For an ecclesia, to be an ecclesia, it must ecclesia. <laughs> For an assembly, to be an assembly, it must assemble. And for a church, to be a church, it must gather together. In person, face to face. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? Right here. I just showed you. Well, why... We gather online. We gather in the metaverse. We gather in the blah, blah, blah. That's how we gather. It's, it's, this face-to-face -face gathering, it's not essential. Really? Tell that to the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Jesus didn't send his message on an iPad. He didn't, he didn't set up a, a vlog in heaven. Hey, you down there, just, uh, it's going great up here, but if you guys could just stop sinning down there, that'd be great. No, the word became flesh and dwelt among us face to face. John says in 1 John chapter 1, that which we have heard from the beginning, which we saw with our own eyes, which we handled with our own hands, the word of life. That life was manifest among us. And that which we have seen and that which we have heard, we proclaim to you. Jesus became flesh. He came and dwelt among us. This physical presence with us. Listen, this word church, it has nothing to do with a building. It has all to do about a people. But it is a people who gather It is God's people who gather. It is those that share this confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He calls us out of darkness. He calls us out of the world. And he calls us to be his people and to come together as his people. And he calls us together for the same reasons that the ecclesias in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, were called together to worship him, to hear his word preached, and to reaffirm our covenant with him. Well, how do we reaffirm the covenant? Well, it's through the sacraments. It's through baptism and communion. That's how we reaffirm the covenant. Baptism is the first. It's the initiation. It's, it's, it <laughs> and you cannot baptize yourself. I've seen, I've, I've seen people baptize themselves on Facebook live, you know, and the priest or pastor's there. He's like, oh, we're all gathered here, and the person goes and gets in their bathtub. It's like, no, 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 it's the church body. It's us coming together. And then we reaffirm the covenant as we take the Lord's Supper week after week after week after week. It's what the people of God have always done. Throughout the ages, all the way back to the very mountain of God and the presence of God descended. It's what the church has always done throughout the centuries under much more tyranny than we're experiencing in 2022. Under much more oppression than we're experiencing here today. Under much more threat of danger than we might experience from the pandemic. The church has gathered and has always gathered Because the church is not a building, it's not a hierarchy of priests and bishops and cardinals and the Pope. The church is the gathering of those who have been called out by Christ to assemble in a public place to get about the business of the kingdom of God. We come together to worship Jesus, to hear his word, and to confirm our covenant relationship with him through baptism and communion. And when we do these things together, when a group of people does these things together, they become a church. They become a people united together in love and bond of Christ that cannot be broken. These three activities are the activities that take just a group of Christians and binds them together in covenant, not only with God, but with one another. And if you, if you eliminate these elements you eliminate the church by definition. Now, you can still call things a church. But if you eliminate the physical gathering, if you eliminate 
the worship of Christ, if you eliminate the confession of who he is, if you eliminate his word being faithfully preached, if you eliminate the sacraments, if you replace, again, the bread and the wine with Doritos and Pepsi, That is, a, that is a gathering that the Lord is not building. In Matthew chapter 18, quickly, I'm, I'll just lay one more idea on you quickly. We were in 16, we're in 18. This is, of course, very uh, familiar passage again, verse 20. I don't have time to go in the whole context of this, but Jesus says, where, this is the other time that he, he uses this word. Uh, again, the, the church he talks about the church in this passage and he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Listen, when we gather, we don't just gather. We don't just casually come together. No, we gather in the name above every name. We gather and we pledge our allegiance to the name of Jesus Christ, to the kingdom of God. We come in and we say, yeah, we might be part of this community. Yeah, we might be part of that community. But here, we're part of the kingdom. Here, we serve the king. Here and in our hearts, even when we go out there, he is enthroned in our lives. And when we gather in that way, Jesus promises that his presence will be there in a way that is special, in a way that is unique, in a way that is different from the presence of God that we carry with us everywhere else we go. He, he, he specifically calls this out. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, under my lordship, under my authority, I am there among them. My presence is there with them. And because Jesus is here, because Jesus is present in our holy gatherings, it sets them apart. Because God is here. Because God is in our midst. Because he is holy. It sets the gathering of God's people apart from every other kind of gathering. The, the church gathering is not like going and seeing a sporting event. The, amen. The church gathering is not like going and seeing a movie. The church gathering is not like going and hearing a lecture. The church gathering is not going out to dinner with friends. Why? Because Jesus is here. He's in our midst. Amen. And he is holy. He is holy. And so there should be a sense of the holiness of God in our gatherings. And that's what they were experiencing there. And when the law was being read, the God is so high and exalted and he is so holy. And you begin to examine your life up against the holy God. And like Isaiah chapter 6, you cry, woe is me. They began to weep. And, and, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they go and they say, no, 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 don't weep. Celebrate. Don't weep. Celebrate. But listen, they didn't, they didn't yet have what we have. They just said, stop crying and, and just go get, eat and get drunk. You know, go and eat and drink. <laughs> Take your mind off of this. Foreshadowing another meal that would come. Foreshadowing the, the, the bread and the wine. Foreshadowing the, the real reason why we can celebrate. Why our mourning can be turned into joy. Why our woe is me can be turned into I am a child of God. 
and I can celebrate, and I can sing for joy, and I've gathered with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and the world might be falling apart, and the world might be going to hell, but we are the people of God, and Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell, as bad as they might get, as hot as it might get, it will not prevail against us, amen. And so these gatherings are holy. They're set apart. God told Moses, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Was it special dirt? Why was the ground holy? Because God was there. Why are our gatherings holy? Because God is in our midst. And so when we come to worship God, we shouldn't come with the attitude of we're coming to be entertained. I hope they play some songs I like this week. I hope the communion crackers aren't still stale. They're using the ones from last week. <laughs> Knocked one of my dentures out, you know. I, I, I'm gathering to meet with my Savior. I'm gathering to meet with my Lord. He is going to be in our midst. We are going to worship Him. We are going to hear His Word. We are going to reaffirm our love and our covenant that he has made with us and that we have made with him and that we are making with one another. And we are going to leave and we're going to turn the world upside down. We're not going to live like the world. We're going to be in the world, but we're not going to be of the world because he has set us apart. We too, like our gatherings, are holy because he has put our, his Holy Spirit within us. And so he has called us his holy ones. He has called us his saints. I might not feel like a saint today, but that's my identity. I might not feel like the light today, but he has declared that I am the light. And so as I leave this place, as I've, I've come and I've met with God on the mountain, as I've heard his word, I've been in his presence, I've been with his people, I've worshiped him. I'm reminded of who I am. I'm reminded of the God that I serve. And dear friends, you just do not get that. Sitting at home in your PJs. Rolling over and saying, oh, I guess the live stream's on. I guess so. See if the pastor has anything good to say So we must find a way to gather in person. If you live in a country where it's restricted, you, you have to pray about this. You've got to figure out how to do it. Either you're going to take a bold stand for Christ and go out there and be arrested, be thrown in jail. It would be a worthwhile thing. Or you've got to figure out how to gather underground. But you must gather. It, it, this, you must gather. The people of God have understood this for two millennia. And here we are thinking that we're so much better, so much more evolved, so much more smarter and more intellectual than every other saint that has come before us. It's hubris. We need to repent of it. Our, our, our snobbery towards past generations. Oh, they, they thought that you know, they had to do this or that. We're so much more evolved and so much more enlightened. We must find a way to gather. Listen, they're going to try to shut the church down again. You have to understand this. This isn't, the la this isn't the last time. In fact, this is the test. This, this is to get us ready. This is to see who will stand in that day. There's an oppressive spirit of fear that's coming upon the world that's continuing to sweep the world. And the church must not give in to this spirit of fear. Fear of the virus, fear of the authorities, fear of community perception, 
Fear of what people in the church might say, well, how about the fear of God? How about that? Well, I don't know. Is gathering with God's people worth dying for? If, If I get sick with COVID, I might die. The people down throughout the centuries, God's people through the millennia have been willing to risk their lives to gather together. Tell, tell that to the underground churches in Iran and in China and in North Korea that we don't feel like we need to gather anymore. May God continue to grant us the boldness to be the gathering on the earth that he is building, to gather to worship him, to hear his word, and to have his covenant reaffirmed in our lives. Let's stand together. Father, we live in unusual days for us, but they're not unusual days for you. You've shown us so clearly in your word what your people must do. It's, it's, it's not hard to see that. What it is hard is sometimes to do it. So, Lord, we pray through the power of your spirit to grant us the boldness as leaders to lead in these times. Lord, to be the kind of leaders that, that doesn't affirm people in their fear, but imparts boldness. That, that causes other people to take courage, to take heart. Lord, in the world we will experience tribulation, but you told us to steady ourselves, to take heart, to take courage, because you have overcome the world. Lord, that is what we believe, that is what we teach, and help it, Lord, to be what we live, that we believe that you have been victorious, that you have overcome the world, that you have put every enemy under your feet, And that we march forward in your name and in your power. And when we do, you show up and meet with us. Lord, continue to purify our hearts, purify our churches, purify our ministries, purify our people. That we would be the people of God in this hour. That we would stand, that we would stand for truth and for righteousness and for holiness that we would not be backed down, that we would not be relegated to a corner, that we would not be a city on a hill that's trying to hide, but help us to realize, Lord, that you are elevating your church so that the light may be shined, that the light may go out. Lord, help us not to hide and cower in fear, but to step forward in boldness and proclaim the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.